So I have gone for thousands of cups of coffee with people and mm -hmm. I am an inveterate coffee, let's go have coffee kind of person. And I do that with strangers, friends, but I've also done it over the years, and this is very deliberate, with young people who are looking for work. That's Bob Ramsey, our guest today, marketing and communication strategist, and touted in McLean's Magazine to be one of the most connected men in Toronto, who I got to know through a mutual friend who was like, Sheila, you've got to meet Bob. Well, listeners, now it's my turn to make that introduction. You've got to meet Bob, and here's why. Besides being an all-around interesting person, today he'll tell us how he makes, expands, and deepens his relationships and his learning by doing something fun and easy, going for coffee with someone. I'm Sheila Daz. Welcome to Flow, where we discuss the power and the problems of conversation. As we're just before the holidays, might I suggest you consider sharing Flow as a virtual stocking stuffer, adding a bit of something something to your family and friends, maybe getting a better conversation with them as a result. Would it be a gift to them? or a gift to yourself. <laughs> a note on going for coffee. In my day job as a college teacher, I regularly ask my students, whenever we discuss the place of the coffee house uh, in the Enlightenment and how it acted together with uh, sugar in the triangle slave trade between Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. So on the one hand, it's this place this hallowed place of caffeine and bibing that gave way to incredible discussion groups in, in Paris and in Milan and kind of kick-started the Enlightenment. And on the other hand, it, it kind of flourished on the backs of, of the slave trade. So complicated history. But I asked my students, um, who goes for coffee? And what is that like today? What do they do? And more and more, I've been fascinated and a bit saddened to learn that cafes today are where many younger people often go to be alone on their computers to get a nice frothy beverage and enjoy the anonymous hum of people around them. They are not having a coffee in the sense of needing to chat with someone. Well, Bob Ramsey opens our eyes to a kaleidoscope of experiences from what he's taught his mentees looking for work to personal stories, valuable advice he's received, and the delights of lingering. I think Bob will convince us to rethink and revalue the humble, easy meeting over a cuppa. for joining me today. Thank you so much, Sheila. It's great to be here. You have done a lot of different things in your career, and that creation is interesting to me uh, because a lot of it has to do with communication. And I'm thinking about a longstanding career in, in uh, PR, your speaker series with Ramsey Talks for 40 years or so, and with your wife, Jean, uh, your travel group, Ramsey Travels, not to mention perhaps the most important facet of your work, writing, which you've done to express your own ideas, you've done to help other people express theirs, and you've written uh, your memoir, Love or Die Trying, How I Lost It All, Died, and Came Back for Love. In your book, you admit that you talk and talk and talk, but that you don't talk about why or how you feel about it. Well, I'm lucky to have the chance today to ask you why and how you feel about talking and talking and talking. So what about you? 
I would like to begin uh, by building a trajectory of how you first discovered the power of words while as a kid and at school uh, when you were bullied. I am the only child of a mother and father from Edmonton who were very ambitious for their golden child. So they saved up and sent me to boarding school. <coughs> Excuse me. They saved up and sent me to boarding school in Port Hope, where um, at age 12, I was the smallest kid in the class and likely am the smallest kid in the class today. And But I was very... Yeah, for our listeners... Uh, Bob is not like particularly tall, if you can't see him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I've often said, if, if you want to know everything about me, you just need to know that I'm five foot three and from Edmonton. And that explains everything, right? So I was, uh, I was soccer. Uh, I'd never really played before. And I was trying out for the junior school team. And I kicked a shot at the goalie and the goalie caught it. But because I didn't know the rules, I just kept on going and kicked it out of his chest into the goal and turned around and said to my classmates, goal! And they all looked at me in total horror because, of course, you can't do that. And, and meanwhile, the goalie, when we were changing our clothes afterwards, who I'd managed to injure, who was much bigger than me, and was was enraged and he started to bully me. Uh, and so he happened to be sitting at the same dining table. We were all assigned dining tables that I was at. And for the next three months, because I couldn't attack him physically, I attacked him verbally. And so I learned the power of words. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's one part of me at an early age. And of course, in, in, in recounting these stories, looking backwards in time, we always endow them with a sense of purpose mm -hmm. and determination that when I was 12 was absolutely not there. Mm -hmm. right? I didn't sit down and say, how am I going to get even with this guy and defend myself? I'm going to use words. That conversation was never held with myself. It just happened. So that's one story about my, my relation with words. The other is, when I was about, I guess, two years later, I had a terrible uh, stammer. I could not speak. I was terrified to speak in front of more than, you know, two or three people. And, and again, it was a different time, and I had come from a different place. Um, I mean, the the prospect of saying I had a problem and maybe going to get help would have been ludicrous, right? That just wasn't there then. And so what I did is that I raised my hand to read the Bible lesson in chapel in front of all 300 people in the school three or four evenings a month, right? So it was a process of massive overcompensation so how am i going to how am i going to learn how to speak in front of people i think i'll just throw myself out there yeah it's like you're just like throwing yourself in the yeah, water to learn yeah, how to swim yeah yeah exactly and this is a kind of strange sort of aversion therapy which comes with the usual terrible consequences leaking out the side door, of course, as it always does, right? But but I learned to speak, yeah. and I learned to speak with confidence. So 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 that's the 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 sort of the tremendous power of words, and the tremendous fear of of speaking. And you've translated that like into a lifelong successful and it, from the outside, it looks like very fun career. So what excites you now about continuing to reach people and engage them through language? I'm an old fashioned language guy. I really think language matters. Um, and, and I bemoan the loss of caring for uh, precision and elegance around language. I really do. 
So on the one hand, I just, I mean, I'm not going to worry about that, right, in the world, because there's enough people in my life and enough places in my life that care deeply about words that I can feed the positivity without getting into the negativity. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, um, so, so that's one way. The other way is far from going big and going broad, I now like to go small and narrow. So I love having conversations, whether online or in person over coffee. Mm -hmm. I mean, Coffee is code for a world of information and feelings um, with people. And, and, you know, they don't have to be great conversationalists, but it's, it's wonderful when you get two or three great conversationalists together. And it's almost kind of magical. And when you think back to some of the the most wonderful times of your own life, and I think this would be true of pretty much everybody, is kind of the spontaneous dinner where everybody kind of lit up the room on their own. Nobody walked into it thinking that that would happen, but it did. Mm -hmm. And the food was great and the wine was great and the you know, ambience was great. But what was really great was the conversation. And the conversation is what made the difference. And I, I often have thought of that, uh, both yeah. in terms of like coffee and the the, the setting at a table as, yeah. as uh, providing the physical nourishment actually to almost calm our bodies and let our minds relax and open into conversation, but obviously also the warmth. I mean, even when you mention coffee, I physically think, I know you're drinking a coffee right now. <laughs> I, I, I physically think about the warmth and that that also helps us feel good and perhaps even more connected to uh, the person we're sitting with. How often do you go for coffee? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a bit of a coffee junkie. And by that, I don't mean the number of cups of coffee I drink a day, but the occasions in which I have coffee with somebody. I I do it a lot, but but so first of all, I am I am an an extrovert. I love people. And so I don't view extroversion as being a clinical condition. I view it as being a kind of a superpower. Mm. Right. Mm. And and so so I love engaging people face to face. I love engaging people in in groups, but most of all face to face. And and I think in a way we've lost the art of conversation face to face. There's a whole COVID online thing. Yeah. And and what's the difference? You can pick up so many visual, emotional, physical cues yeah. when you're sitting looking at somebody directly that you can't see online, right? And, and we react to those cues hugely. And to lose, lose that sort of, lose that currency is to kind of blind you and deafen you to all kinds of things. And, and it's fun, you know, funny you ask. I had, I had two cups of coffee yesterday. Um, it's, it's interesting what's happening is, it's kind of like compounded interest, right? You don't you don't notice it at the time, but if you look back on it over a number of years, so to this day, I am completely stunned by people who come up to me who I have no memory who they are. And they come up to me and they say, Bob, you know, 30 years ago, I was fresh out of university and I was looking for a job and and my dad was a friend of yours and and nobody would see me for coffee and you were the only person who saw me for coffee and you gave me some very wise advice so of course when the person says that that's my moment of great terror because i have no idea of what the advice was that i gave him or her no idea right Maybe something that worked though so Right, 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 exactly. And clearly they are they are grateful, 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and so in the kind of scheme of things, I know that kind of every every year, like every week, I look at my 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 upcoming week on my calendar and I say to myself, how did they get in there? Mm-hmm. How did all those appointments get in there? Who put them there? Well, I put them there. <laughs> and so it's like there's this other person ruling my life, right? But I guess that's the that is the superpower of being an extrovert in that uh, you're kind of always uh, reaching for that connection with other people. And I think I, I would also put myself in that category largely. <laughs> and I uh, <laughs> and and I think that you you often can be delightfully surprised. Uh, by connections, by opening yourself up to different people. And I would say introverts too, maybe are maybe are a bit more reticent to right. to to open right. them up as often, but I would say equally uh, enjoy uh, right. these these connections. About advice and about mentoring people over coffee, people you forget. Right. Um, and it's it's neat because there are a couple of things I want to, a couple of roads I want to take with you today, those personal connections, but also yep. Yep. working in the field of communications. What what would you tell people today who are maybe um looking for work or wanting a different kind of work or wanting to follow like in your footsteps in, in the communications field? Well, I would I would say a couple of things. Um one is um don't worry about finding uh, the best job, the most meaningful job, the highest paying job right out of the gate. And that gate can be high school, community college, university, or postgraduate, right? Um, so, so don't worry about that. And, and I remember my father said years ago, just do something you love. Well, that was wonderful advice, but it, I, I didn't know what it meant, right? Uh, so, so that's one thing. Don't worry. The price of making a mistake when you're 23 years old is not very high. And, and there are, and the world of work is changing so much these days, etc. The other thing is, um, use your contacts and especially your parents to get work. And if you have any moral qualms about that, um, the issues around privilege and getting to the front of the line. And my father's friend happens to be highly perched at a bank and I want to work in a bank. If that bothers you morally, then good luck to you, right? And and, and that, is, that is not a moral statement. That is simply an efficiency statement. Mm-hmm. Right. I understand. Could, could I could I give that a different sort of um, yeah, yeah. sort of shadow? Because yeah. uh, I think I told you I uh, you know had been a scholar of the Renaissance, and right. one of the regular you know tropes that comes up it can be Machiavelli, it can be Palo Sardi, right. is um, opportunity, right. and that uh, yeah. opportunity comes in different ways. But the, what is really defined as intelligence is being able to understand when you have an opportunity and then how right. to act on it and not to let it right. go because it right. may never present itself. Right, <laughs> exactly. There was, I've, I've forgotten the author, there was a book called Success and Luck written by a well-known Cornell economist. And, and what he tracked was um, the role that luck, i.e. sort of random opportunity plays in in people's success and and he discovered that people who are successful tend to attribute their success to talent and hard work but when you poke them a little these highly successful people they will reveal that luck not only played a role in their success but a huge and defining role in their success so so here's an example of what you mean Whenever I have coffee with a young person who is looking for work, I, I go through what they should do, et cetera. And I always say, and I mean, I've said this for 40 years, whenever you're talking to somebody, don't ask for one name, right? 
ask for two names because then you can grow your list geometrically as opposed to arithmetically, right? You can kind of double every time. And two, always write a thank you letter or always write a thank you note, right? And if you can write it using handwriting and pop it in the mail, so much the better. But if not, just send a, a polite email, right? And, and they nod and they take notes, et cetera. And I leave the conversation, I leave a cup of coffee. They haven't asked for any names. And I wait, I wait, and yeah. there's no thank you note. And, and why is that? Yeah. It's because they didn't think that this was a job interview. They missed that part. Or not even seeing and, that coffee with you, maybe not interview, but as again, an opportunity, right. something that right. you can right. make right. the most of. And yeah. And and so to those people, I really I don't follow up yeah. because they failed the first test. Mm -hmm. And right. I like also that idea of a thank you. I mean, everyone talks about that, uh, whether right. it be handwritten. Right. Of course, that makes you stand out more, especially right. today. Right, right, right. But it's it's the idea of seizing that connection. I'm always thinking about right. seizing the opportunity, but seizing the connection and enhancing it, like making it stick um, so that it's something right. you could maybe someone right. you could go back to. And it's really uh, through people in every right. aspect of our lives and also our professional lives that we learn things. Right. Well, and, and again, uh, when, when I'm speaking to young people, I I, I put it in terms, I, I try to strip the kind of old-fashioned politeness out of it mm. because some of them may kind of react to that, right? Okay. And I simply say, look, you've just graduated from, from a university and you're looking for a job in communications, okay? So I am in a position to send you to people who can hire you, right? So I'm I'm that guy. I'm not going to hire you, but I know people yeah. who can hire you. Okay. But you've got to understand that there are thousands of yous out there. Thousands. And you may have had the best education, the best, the best, everything. There's still thousands of yous. And so you need to stand out immediately. And you need to decide how you're going to do that. Because otherwise, you're just one name on a stack of resumes. So the idea that that the world, the world of work is a very different place from the world of pre-work or education, I think that is still true. And, and people need to hear from people who've been working yeah. for a long time. This generation, younger generation's relationship with older people is different from every other younger generation's relationship yeah. with other people because of the internet and social media, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's changed a lot. Uh, expectations around communication and yeah. and practice and ability. And I I I, I, I wasn't really intending to go in this direction, but I I I, uh, I wonder if that's something you've picked up on um, in. A, a comfort, let's say, in in face to face uh, conversations over coffee with people. Do you feel that uh, that comfort is there with uh, people of all different uh, ages, or are are you noticing any differences? Well, I I I mean, I find it's I'm finding coffee, and let's use coffee as the hmm. code word for a whole bunch of things. Sure. That that people who are my generation and one younger are more at ease uh, around coffee than people who are teenagers or in their 20s. Mm -hmm. right? um, and for all kinds of reasons. But let me let me sort of continue on that. Yesterday, when I had my two coffees, one of the things I, it, it was interesting because my view of the world and certainly about having a conversation is always be curious. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So the old the old imprecation that my late mother gave to me, which is, you know, honey, don't talk about yourself until you've let other people talk about themselves. Okay? Just that that kind of view on the world. 
But the always be curious part is I was having coffee with a woman friend I hadn't seen in 10 years. Part of that is COVID. And um, uh, she would be in her late 40s, early 50s. And she was talking about her kids. And she has two kids. And one of them is uh, gender transitional. Now, it was interesting because the day before, I'd been talking to somebody around work and the workplace and trans and gender diversity and gender fluidity, right? Mm -hmm. So this was this was kind of removed from my life, right? This is not an issue. Uh, well, this uh, is that, something I think that sort of come to the public attention, yeah. public attention. You know, we knew it was there, but now the kind of the normalization of gender fluidity is upon us. So I learn about stuff that I never would have learned about, yeah. that that the whole gender issue is not just a kind of, gee, why are all these people putting their names at the bottom of their emails saying she, her, etc. But it's kind of with us. I was talking to some people a few days ago um, who work at a big accounting firm, yeah. like a big accounting firm. And they they did a survey two years ago of the number of trans and gender diverse employees they had, and they had none, none. Okay? Yeah. And they did the same survey with all of the usual sort of guardrails and safety procedures, because of course, if you're talking about stuff right. like that, right? Uh, and they did that same thing this year, and they have 50, 50. So, I mean, yeah. this is this is a big, big accounting yeah. firm. Yeah. But to go from zero to 50 in two years. Now, you know, maybe two years ago, people didn't want to report, and there are young people and new people and so on and so forth. But that is astounding. That is astounding. Yeah. And that's happening in the workplace. Most established sort of companies in the world we're not talking about you know marginalized people by any means mm -hmm. so i go from conversation two days ago and that fox rolling around my head to talking to a friend who's a mother who is managing the same issue with her child and i'm thinking you know what this is this is how the world is these days mm -hmm. Yeah. It's simply happening. Right? But it's also, I think it's it's nice in, in that we learn about things and not just about things, say, statistically, but we learn about how they mean to people through conversation and these one-on-one -on -one right. conversations with people. Right. Let's right. get a bit deeper, right? Than right. just right. understanding right. pronouns at the bottom yeah. of an email yeah. Yeah. are there to make people feel welcome. But you can get really more into what does it mean to people and how are they progressing, um, which is kind of wonderful, so. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I um, I would like to tell you about my second cup of coffee. So let's- I let's would like to hear that. I have another cup of coffee with uh, a friend and former client. I know her pretty well, but again, haven't seen much of her since COVID. And, um, and, um, and it's interesting because she's in her, early 50s and I mean she's talked about her family and her marriage often but not like sort of deep confessions but just kind of been passing we've known each other very well for a number of years and and she is at a turning point in her career and and I said okay so let's look at it a different way you have 20 to 30 more useful years in your life. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what are you going to do with them? And she said, yeah, yeah, okay. And so we, we started to have that conversation. And during, during our conversation, I thought, should I bring up what I've always believed to be an issue? And you mean her issue or a general issue? No, her issue. Okay. Her issue. Okay. 
And and so she said, well, you know, I could do this and that. And I said, and so, so you know, forgive me if I'm pushing into your life and believe me, push back. But I don't get the sense that you're very happy in your marriage. Wow. And she said, you're so right. And then she spent the next 10 minutes telling me how she... She had thought about that herself, and she had gone to see a lawyer, right? Gone to see a lawyer. So if you're in an unhappy marriage and you've gone to see a lawyer, you've moved from zero to 90 in the 100-step process mm -hmm. uh, right there, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, so it was interesting because I did not offer any advice. I've, I've never met her husband, right? Uh, and of course, as with any any long-term relationship, let alone a marriage, who knows, right? Who who knows? But I I reminded her that when Jean and I were running Jean's Marines, the women's marathon training group to run the Marine Corps Marathon in, from 2002 to 2008, and we would have 300 midlife women a year signing up to do this that we actually had a Jeans Marines official divorce lawyer because so many of these women were running with other women, changing their lives, getting home on Saturday, late Saturday morning and seeing their husbands sitting on the couch. And it's kind of like, what are you doing? I'm out there. The kids are gone, mm -hmm. right? Because they've all graduated. We're, we're a couple now. And I'm going to be stuck with you for the next 30 years? I don't think so. I mean, right? that's just so, so sad what you're saying. It was, but it was, I mean, it was a completely unexpected thing, right? We, we didn't form Jeans Marines mm. at goal at all. But women became enormously empowered over their lives. Anyway, just, uh, just something. So really deep conversations that you've had over coffee with people who are like from what you're saying not your intimates like people who you right right so yeah that's that's interesting that you can go that deep and I, I suppose lots of people who are having coffee sometimes it can be surprising um where that conversation can lead sometimes like beyond just the the right. the easy right. happy stuff yeah yeah you are an expert in communications and marketing. And I wondered if like change a gear from those one-on-one -on -one with stuff maybe you used to do more of or were more interested in. Um, and you you talk about that as like being able to, to uh, help people write better, present better, persuade better. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about that What's the the fundamental difference? Do you think in like communications strategies for for public figures or for companies versus you know the rest of us just in our regular conversations wanting to be liked? So I'm not sure everybody does want to be liked in a normal conversation. I think quite a few people want to be respected. Right? They want to be taken seriously um this may be more a male thing than a female thing i i don't know but uh i certainly want to be liked right like i'll i'll raise my hand and plead guilty to that uh but i mean i think we want to put our best face forward no matter how we define that face and it's and it's interesting years ago so at my Ramsey Talks events, I will stand up and and introduce uh, the speaker. And, and so I've used something that nobody really cares about, right? Somebody up there introducing the speaker um, as, a, as a way to kind of upgrade the events and to make people think that they're they're listening to somebody really fabulous and to take what is usually viewed as kind of uh, you know, a bit of a nothing burger in an event and turn it into something. 
So years ago, I was introducing a couple of very important people at the lunch, the speakers, and I I kind of screwed it up once again, right? It was, I I tried very hard to make it work. It was, it was very serious. And, you know, you can, you can tell from the applause how well you've done. And I sat down and, and the speaker spoke and that was all fine. And a great friend of mine happened to be at the lunch. And she said to me afterwards, Bob, you know, we should, we should have a cup of coffee. And I said, yeah. And I said, when do you want to do that? And she said, how about now? Right? And I said, well, sure, okay. I mean, people had left. And we sat down and she said, so she's a very well-known Canadian actor. She said, Bob, you know, watching you up on stage, you looked miserable. And you looked miserable because you have this tremendous desire to communicate and connect with people. And you weren't doing that well, and you knew it. And I, who've known you for years, knew it as well. And I mean, you know, you 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 weren't a disaster by any means, but it was just kind of like a damp squib, right? And I sat there and I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And 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 she said, so it's very easy to to change that. And and I thought, oh God, oh God, here we go. And uh, I said, how? And she said, so Bob, what is the thing that anybody who who's known you for thirty seconds knows about you? And I said, uh, what? And she said, you're a funny guy. And and I I kind of reeled back because I'm introducing very serious people. Oh yeah, like you know Mark yeah. Carney. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, like said, leaders. And I said, you want me to be funny, kind of like like tell jokes. And she said, no, 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 I don't want you to tell jokes. Maybe you're not a funny guy. You're a witty guy. Mm. You're a witty guy. I see none of that wit up there. Mm. I want you to pretend you're talking to me and only me about the speaker. And the speaker's not in the room. Let me tell you, Kate, about this guy. He's this and that and the other thing, right? And and so I thought, she's out of her mind, right? And and then I I I thought about it and thought, gosh, this is the old thing about be yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Be yourself. So I tried it a little the next time and it and it wasn't half bad. And then I tried it again and it was pretty good. And now my my introductions are known and kind of, you know, people, it's it's not that people come to the come to the talks just, just for the intros <laughs> but it's a kind of <laughs> wow oh no i actually i can really appreciate a wonderful introduction and they're there they are few and far between actually and so right. when you hear one you are struck by it right and and most people just they rip the the sort of official bio off the online biography and they read right. it and of course like Everybody in the audience already knows the online bio. That's why they bought a ticket to the event. <laughs> and it's also something, I think, about what your friend was saying about creating intimacy from right. the stage. Um, right, right. Which uh, sometimes when something's done really successfully and you're you're one of the audience but somehow you feel so connected to someone on stage, you almost want to address them by their first name. And then, you know, <laughs> right. that, that right. somehow right. you manage to create that intimacy. Right. Well, and, and the, you know, we, we hosted Rick Mercer and Jan Arden last week at a Ramsey talk and, and, and they didn't need me. To oh no! Along, believe <laughs> like, me. Talk about the cliche needing no introduction. If any Canadians didn't need my, an introduction, my God! 
So I, I did my intro and got out of the way. But then, then I stood up at the end to thank them. And I said, you know, Rick and Jan are really great when they're funny, but they're even better when they're not. And that's because these two, during the evening, had suddenly sort of gone off script and started talking about very serious things in very serious ways. And and now, did I did I think during the thing, um, this is how I'm I'm going to connect with the audience? Uh, no, it just kind of came out of my head because. That's how it felt to me, right? I I felt incredibly connected, much more much more connected than I thought I ever would, because I view the two of them as basically, you know, humorists, right? Mm -hmm. And and what we got was humor plus more. It was it was great. It was it was a deeply affecting evening. Mm -hmm. And certainly not to say that they all are by any means, but that was. That yeah. was. But you say it's not something you thought about, but that makes me again think about practice. And there are a couple of things that you've been talking about um, that I'd like to pick up on. One, um, that you're still learning and that you're open to learning and you're learning from people who are just in your life, making observations, making comments and giving value to that way of learning, I think is, is something that we all could benefit from in our own lives. Well, I, I think that's kind of bread in the bone, um, which could be my code for unconscious. I mean, I, again, I, I don't, I don't go around thinking I'm curious, but, but clearly I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I tend to, uh, I tend to flock together with other people who are curious as does the whole world kind of before psychology and and neuroscience got a hold of it it was you would you would meet somebody and you would say wow i really want to get to know that person because they're kind of like me or they're not like me but i'm really interested in who they are mm -hmm. it's that feeling and you and you get the feeling first before you get the either psychological or scientific understanding of what makes the feeling work and yeah. and, I, and and on that point one of the other one of the other things is to and and this is a big deal these days which is to suspend judgment mm -hmm. suspending oh. judgment is a function of curiosity as well yeah. And, and and because we're all taught to, and certainly online, to judge instantly. So I, I forgot, was it Abraham Lincoln or somebody once said, you know, I met so-and-so and and I didn't much like him. So I think I'll have to meet him again. <laughs> and it was just kind of like... <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. Right, right. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. So So that's... That's kind of my my view. And, and believe me, I've been so wrong about so many people for so many years that that I know that when I when I uh, get a first impression, I can be very wrong. Mm -hmm. There is something you said to me uh, before uh, you phrased it a little bit differently beyond the curiosity is wanting to find the magic and why that's a little different i think right. is because there's an assumption there that there yep. is magic well <laughs> i love it because i find right. also maybe right. uh, as i get older you know everyone's been charmed at different points in their life right. but that like you were saying some people might not strike you as so obviously interesting Right. But open that door, give them a chance. Yeah. And sometimes you're bowled over right. by yeah. what this person is thinking, what they've done, what they want to do. Well, it's 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 magical that you mentioned that. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're right. I, I I mean, I I believe in magic and and I believed in it so much 
that I believe that one of the things I I should do and get great joy from doing is producing more. Mm-hmm. So when when Gene and I were hiking on the Appalachian Trail, we took a summer off in 1992 and hiked a thousand miles of the Appalachian Trail over three months. And when we have done other sort of kind of brutally difficult physical things at the end of the world, we and and amazing things happen, we would call that trail magic. Mm. That's trail magic, right? When we're out of water and we're not gonna make it and somebody appears out of the sky with water, right? That that kind of thing. And and trail magic has saved us enough times that that we believe it kind of almost exists, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and when you when you bump into something and do something often enough that it 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 you I mean it becomes an article of faith. Mm-hmm. Now, would I ever go out without water and say, oh, it's okay, somebody will save us? Never, mm-hmm. right? But but you have to to put it in a different way, you have to prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. Well, and also, I mean, that's a, that's a different spin on the magic, but yeah. the idea, uh, I mean, certainly there's, there, there, I mean, I actually made the mistake once of not taking enough water, a different story. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Uh, not fun. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. uh, the idea that many times uh, you will find a connection um, yeah. that will help you. Um, you've led me into, though, another area uh, that you do with your wife, Jean, and yeah. that is Ramsey Travels. And I have to say, with like one of the best taglines I've ever read, which is <laughs> adventure is not in the guidebook and beauty right. is not on the map. <laughs> I love it. Because yeah. I tell you, just reading that like makes me want to get out of my chair right. and like go find <laughs> adventure with a capital A and beauty with a capital B. <laughs> and I think about those are things that like as a little kid, as yeah. I honestly think most little kids were like up for adventure or look looking looking and expecting to find beauty. But as we move from being little kids to being adults and sometimes old, older adults, we become accustomed to just not having it in our life anymore. Um, and I really like how your group is a group for people for people who don't like travel groups. How do you think this appeals to the people who go on these travels with you? So first of all, it, it wasn't my line. Uh, adventure is not in the guidebook and beauty is not in the map. I've forgotten whose it was, but it's been around long enough that everybody uses it. Well, thumbs up but, to that, like regular. Right, right. <laughs> but, the, but the idea of we do group travel for people who don't do group travel. So um, we are only able to go to these places in groups. If If you were to try to do this trip on your own, it would either cost twice as much uh, or it would be simply, you know, impossible to do, right? So, so, but there is a tremendous, um, well, it's almost a, a a snobbery of I don't do group travel because group travel is the person with the yellow flag standing in in uh, the square in Venice saying over here, right? So, so. We do group travel. People who don't do group travel, and and what is what I find um, always a wonderful surprise. So we took sixteen friends to a, an authors festival in Greece in October as part of a week long bike trip. I'm always surprised that is that people come up to me and they say, "I love the people you've got on the trip." Right. It's because I, w- I was just expecting to go bicycling with my wife and to go to this author's festival because I love so-and-so, this author. But but the people you've got are, are just great, right? And 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 it's amazing because they say, how do you put these groups together? I'm tempted to say, but never 
would, it's the first 16 people who sign up, right? Like that's that's the group, okay? But clearly there's a whole lot of uh, sort of uh, self-selection and group selection that goes on long beforehand. So 99.9% .9 of the people on my email list, my database, don't want to come on this trip. But we found 16 who did. So they are automatically kind of in a, in a sort of pre-selective process going to be up for this. Right? So, so that's, that's how that works. And, and, and so then, then the group travel transforms from, well, you know, it's not a bus full of people in, uh, in Venice or a boat full of people in Venice. And it transforms from that to these are my pals. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think anyone who's traveled even on their own uh, experiences an openness to others right. that doesn't happen when you're in your daily grind. Right. 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 And you're, I mean, we all do this. We will, and, and part of it is because we're, such polite Canadians. Oh my God. We are, we will, we will have a tolerance for and a patience for people we likely wouldn't have back home. Mm -hmm. Right. Also, because you're stuck with them. That's a bit different. Yeah. Like yeah, travel. Yeah. 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 We were, we were on a, uh, we were it's on like, a, it gives like, you a chance to get to know their magic, like get beyond your assumptions. Right, and, right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so, so to go back to coffee, one of the things I learned and I'm a, I'm an impatient kind of let's do it kind of guy. And, and when I discovered that if I stayed for coffee, like I didn't kind of have coffee and then rush off somewhere else. But when I, gave myself the time to stay for coffee. The last 10 minutes of that coffee were incredibly revealing. Mm -hmm. and, and we either reached a depth of intimacy or revelation that didn't exist in the first 50 minutes of the coffee, let's say, but that only came up last 10 minutes of the coffee. So that's where I learned to just sit there and wait mm -hmm. and something will happen. Mm -hmm. and, and now something, well, yeah, I, I think I can confidently say something will happen in all cases where I know the person. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not where the first time we're having coffee and it's just not working and I mean, let's not let's not sort of beat this dead horse here, but for the most part, and with friends, magic happens in the last ten minutes. And, and we know the obverse of this, where we're on a Zoom call or we're in a meeting, where where the last ten minutes is when ninety percent of the budget gets debated, mm -hmm. right? But also, uh, just the comparison, people don't want to linger. Uh, I certainly never want to linger uh, right. on a Zoom call. Right. I'm just like, as soon as this right. is done, I am like exactly. ending that call. Exactly. Hopefully right. not with you. But, right. <laughs> but no, it's true. And however, yeah, in lingering and kind of taking the pressure off, like just being, just letting people be and you yourself being present right. and, and not having the pressure maybe to uh, entertain, be witty, but right. share who you are. Uh, and having that acceptance already built into the conversation, uh, yeah, I could. I, I, I mean, the other thing, as as I'm sure you've gleaned from our conversation mm -hmm. today, which is, I will rush in to fill the silence, mm -hmm. right? And whether that's from anxiety or or whatever, who knows? But all I have to do is just shut up, Bob, mm -hmm. and things will happen, and to feel comfortable not talking and just listening and and i mean that's a lesson i've always had to learn and in my 
in my sort of dying day, I will likely be sitting there. Gene has a phrase for this, which is, it's, and furthermore. Right? <laughs> and furthermore, Sheila. Which, and and as Gene says, you've, you've got to stop wagging your finger at people because right? <laughs> I get very demonstrative. I'm sure that's true. I haven't seen much of it t today except <laughs> now, but like I'm going to take Jean at her word. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I want to kind of like wind down our lovely talk and I, I want to be asking you about coffee. We're going to go back to, to that <laughs> theme. Uh, and and put a different spin on that very common question: Who would you like to have dinner with? Um, if you could pick a couple people um, who are alive today, who you right. could choose to have coffee with, who would right. they be? Well, it's a couple of people I've only met online, mm -hmm. and who I hosted Ramsey Talks for in 2021, and they had both had books, but they were completely and remain completely fascinating people I would love to learn more from. So one is Manoush Shafiq, mm -hmm. who at the time of the Ramsey talk was the head of the London School of Economics. She is an Egyptian American. She had to flee Egypt, lived in rural America, hard scrabble existence, uh, obviously very smart, very driven. Uh, and ended up being the deputy governor of the Bank of England under Mark Carney and the deputy head of the IMF under Christine Lagarde. This is a woman of some accomplishment, right? Mm -hmm. And she had written a book about how, how universities, she's now the president of uh, Columbia. She's moved on from LSC. She's now the president of Columbia University. Um, and how universities and people need to learn to get along, right? And she, so there are many people uh, who occupy very high perches in life and she's one of them, but she's the kind of person you know you could have a cup of coffee with at a Tim Hortons and it would be a scintillating conversation. Mm -hmm. She is really a fascinating woman. And um, and so I would love to learn more from her. Another is a, a British human rights lawyer named Philippe Sands. And <laughs> I actually saw him here in Montreal at the Blue yeah. Metropolis last year. Wow, boy, I, I, I mean, the look on your face says it all to me. Yeah. What a guy. Right. <laughs> and and so we had Rosie Bella, whose whose position, uh, I guess she was taking his position at at Harvard. He although he's British. So he writes, I, I mean, if if you are a government or a person and you have a very major human rights issue, he is and, and if you go on to his firm's website. Uh, there are there are um, there are uh, testimonials that that say one of the best in the world, if not the best. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm thinking now. There's a there's a, <laughs> a review, right? Uh, but the other thing is how just incredibly humane and engaging he is, and he tells his story of so. He, he has a country place in Cornwall, and he was the next door neighbor to David Cornwell, John le Carre. Okay? And, and so they became pals. And, and while, when John le Carre was writing his books, which he always wrote by hand, he would give Philippe the manuscripts because for just for vetting in terms of how how are the lawyers portrayed? Is it real? And of course, John le Carre uh, hated lawyers, given his father, who was a con man, and and so on and so forth. Right. And so, Philippe says, "I would I would do this. I would usually have very very few comments. 
because I'm editing John le Carre, right? <laughs> but, but, but also uh, David and I would sneak off to the local pub, pub on Sunday evening uh, away from our, uh, from our wives so we could eat bad food. And, and I thought, wow, now that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that says everything to me, right? Yeah. So I, I would love to have dinner with, um, with him. Oh, you've dubbed it from a coffee to dinner. I see why. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Not long enough. Not long enough. Right, right. I've upgraded it. Right. Bob, I hope I've done a little to reveal your magic today and show listeners the adventure and beauty to be had in conversation with people in their lives. And I want to thank you for talking and for talking with me. Thank you so much, Sheila. I must say it's been a very interesting coffee, which I've drunk during the, the hour we've been together. And it was a great was Bob Ramsey joining me from Toronto. My thanks to Glenn Etier for the original music, to Catherine May Wong and Jonathan Zituni on violin and piano, and Rebecca Akone for sound editing. Also a special thanks to Bruce Norton. Thanks to all for listening. Be sure to follow us to stay in the flow. And I look forward to sharing with you more conversations about conversation in the new year. 